This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. This morning as we talk through uh, Divorce Malachi chapter 2, and today we're going to look a little bit at this. For those of you that maybe weren't here this morning, uh, just as a reminder, I want to make sure everybody gets this. Um, if Whether you are married, single, or divorced, there are no second-rate Christians in God's family, okay? No matter what your story is, no matter how much baggage or how much pain is in your past, God is able to redeem, not only right now, but also do amazing things with you right here and right now. So, uh, we're going to focus on not necessarily what has happened in the past as much as what can happen in the future. You tracking with me? So we want to make sure that we're there uh, tonight. And so we're going to talk about um, divorce, and, and I'm calling this today, as, as we've looked at something, but the deceitful escape. And the reason why I call it the deceitful escape is you think it's going to free you from a whole lot of stuff, but sometimes there's other stuff that it puts shackles around you, right? You think it's going to be this, and you're going to get away from something, but sometimes you realize this stuff follows you, and there's more stuff along the way with it. So just as a way of uh, showing hands and just sort of survey time, how many of you, by show of hands, just wait till the question is completely finished before you show the hand, how many of you have been divorced know someone, or, or know someone who has been divorced? Can I get a hand raised, okay? Oh, great, everybody here, okay, that's awesome. So all of us here are, have either been divorced or know someone who has been, uh, which means that we're all in a category where we need to look at what uh, we need to, to do about this epidemic. It says, while divorce may seem like a desirable path for some couples, it is never a simple escape from trouble. Can I get an amen? It's not just a simple escape, right? But before going down this path, there are many things that must be considered. So I first want us to look at uh, if somebody was to come into my office, uh, once again, just hypothetically on a 5 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, right? And said, okay, uh, how bad is it is the question I want to ask somebody. So how bad is it? What's going on? How can we help? And uh, here, here's some things that I, I want you to, to uh, that I would ask you if we were in a counseling session, or maybe you could ask somebody that's going through this. And this is the first question. How committed are you in order to make things work? Right here, right now, if I were to ask you, uh, if, if it was just up to you, right, just up to you, how committed are you to making things work? And if you would say, you know what, uh, I'm real committed, I feel, I feel pretty uh, committed, but I, sometimes I'll even ask somebody on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most committed, like I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make this thing work, well, one is I'm, I'm basically out the door, how committed are you to make things work? Now, uh, a lot of times people will say things that they think the pastor wants to hear, but I legitimately want to hear it, right? Like, how committed are you? The second question is this, how committed is your spouse to that end? How bad do they want to make it work? Okay. Uh, you say, well, I'm, I'm ready to make it work, but if they're not, we got a little bit of problem here. Okay. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll look at somebody and uh, a couple will come in and they'll be like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is going on and this is blah, 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 and this is happening and we got so much blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, okay, well, how, how willing are you to make it work? Oh, I'm 100% committed. What about you? I'm 100% too. Oh, we can go a long way with this. They're like, but it's a train wreck. Yeah, but you both see it as a train wreck and you're willing to do some work. We can go a long way with two people who are willing to do some work, right? Now, if one person is saying, I'm at 100%, I'm willing to do the work, but he's not or she's not, obviously that's going to make things challenging. But I love to ask that simple question is, uh, how committed is your spouse that in? How committed are you? Number three, here's a question for you. What are the one to three things that your spouse must address to improve your marriage? And you go, oh, I like the way this is turning, right? Okay, 
So if you are married, if, you, if you've ever been married, if you are married now, if you ever think about getting married one day, I told one of the services, I can't remember what, which one it was today, but like some people are like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting married. Some people are like, I'm just trying to get a date, right? First and foremost, that might be the first thing to get to. Um, but, but here's the question that I think a lot of people would know right off the bat. Even the people in this room right now that you're married and you say, I'm somewhat in a healthy marriage. If I could say, if there are one to three things that your spouse could do right now to make your life better, you'd go, only three, right? You might say, like, I got a list a mile long, right? There's more things that I would say, like, well, you could do this and do this and do this. But ultimately, here's what I want to hear. Um, I want to hear from somebody, what's the one to three things that's really, really doing damage to your marriage right now? I don't want to hear the stuff about, well, you know, he never folds his socks right. Well, we, 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 that, that, that's preference. What are the most serious things that's driving a wedge between you and your spouse, right? That's what you want to hear. Yes, sir, got a question? Lack of communication is one. That's a great thing, right? So if you think through something like that, somebody would say, this, that's a top-tier issue. And I would say there's a lot of marriages that people say, yeah, that's, that's top for me, right? What are the one to three things? If you can't communicate about where you are, it's hard to go in the same direction, right? So that's so important. Now here's the follow-up question that you got to ask next. And this is not, this is the one that, all right, we specialize in number three, but y'all can already see where four is going, right? All right. What are the one to three things that you must address to improve your marriage? Now, while well, we've got to be trifling now, well, I got to get in the middle of something, right? What are the one to three things that you need to focus on that you need to address to improve your marriage? Here's what I realize about any marriage in the world today. You are an expert on the flaws of your spouse and can somewhat be blind to your own. If you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch, right? Okay, <laughs> It's easy for me to point my finger at my bride and say, well, if you would just do this and do this and do this and do this, everything will be fine. And then she go, well, what about this? Hey, we're not talking about me right now, okay? Ladies first, right? We're going to get to you first, right? No, but here's the thing. Um, my question is... Um, what are the things that you need to do to work on your marriage? What are the things that address to improve your marriage? So sometimes I would do this with a couple who sits down, and they'll say, we got so many issues going on, and then I'll just ask this question. I'll say, all right, here's what I want you to do, buddy. I look at the fellow, and I'll say, can you tell me one to three things that she has said in the recent days, months, or years <laughs> that's important for you to do to help meet her needs? Have you listened long enough to know what they are. She's got a list of out. No, 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 no. What are the top things that you hear over and over and over again that she's saying I need from my husband? Can you give those to me? Now, if he can't give those to me, we're in a problem, okay? Because he's not listening. Because fellas, let's just going to act like the ladies aren't in the room. They'll tell you what they think, okay? If you're not aware of that, right? They'll tell you what, what's going on are you listening? Are, are you listening? Are you aware what's, what you're, you're listening to what she's saying? Same thing for the ladies. Fellas, they're not going to use as many words sometimes as you ladies can, okay? We sometimes just use grunts and other stuff like that, but we will say what's wrong, right? You know, we'll, we'll you're like, okay, maybe that's wrong. I'm doing something like that. But, but can you say what are those things that you need to address? Now, here's, here's question number five for you. What is your top reason to fight for your marriage? So this would be something if I was sitting down with somebody, and I've asked many times, um, what is your top reason to fight for your marriage? You see under that question, I have a few different uh, examples. And here's, here's what I, I want to show you. Some people are fighting for their marriage right now because of that first reason. What is it? For the sake of who? The children. Okay? Now, 
It, it confused me to no end why some people got, mar- uh, got divorced as soon as their kids left the house. Y'all ever seen that happen before? Marriage is going, you know, it seems like it's okay, the family unit's okay, and then all of a sudden the kids leave the house, and then the next thing you know, the parents are divorced, and you go, now's the time, isn't that when y'all are supposed to go on vacation, right, and stay up and not have to worry about all these responsibilities? Like, this is the time, like the empty nest thing, like, doesn't this make it easy? You know what happened? Over the last 18 to 30 years that they've been dealing with, with kids, they became business partners instead of being people who were married to one another. All they were were business partners. They were, all right, you're going to pick up this part of the crew, and you're going to feed this crew, and you're going to make sure this one doesn't die, and all we're doing, right, is we're just walking beside each other as business partners, and you don't know that person. And what happens? That last child leaves the nest, and you look over at the table, and the quietness in the house is deafening, and you look at that person and go, who is that? You don't know them. Why? Because all your energy has been putting the kids for the last couple decades. You don't know who that person is anymore. And so a lot of times... Some people will come in and they'll say, I'm willing to make this work. And I'll say, why? Because the kids. I don't want the kids to have to go through a divorce. Let me ask you, is that a reason that could possibly get some people to help work on their marriage? The answer is, yeah, it could. It's, it, and is that a good reason? It's, it's a pretty good reason. Another reason sometimes people come in is for financial security. Uh, we're here today because, man, if we go through this divorce situation, we're going to have to have two houses, and I'm going to lose half my paycheck here, and we're going to have this, and who's going to get the couch? You know, I mean, all this kind of, and it's just that stress, folks, and, and, and that may sound a little laughable, people stay in business arrangements for all types of reasons, right? You can endure a whole lot of stuff if you're not wanting to endure this. So some people stick in a marriage just because I don't want to deal with the financial loss. There's some men who've come to me and saying, I just can't stand her anymore, but I don't want to know that she's getting all my money and some man's living in my house, right? And they, that's all the reason they want to work is the finances. Now, while that might be a reason to get him into my office to talk, it ain't going to be a good enough reason for long, okay? It might get him there, but it won't, it won't keep him there. Three things is for maintaining reputation. Some people want to work on their uh, marriages just for the sake of reputation. They don't want the church. They don't want their friends. They don't want these people to think that somehow they're they're that that group and they just they okay we'll, we'll stick it out why my parents will be upset our friends who's going to hang out with them what what's going to happen and that that reputation there's a fourth reason and this was a kind of good reason it's called for the glory of god because <laughs> god says for us to honor our covenants with one another and he honors his covenant with us and we need to be covenant keeping people and so that's why i'm going to work on this marriage now the reason i say that is um sometimes i will talk with couples who, and it'll, it'll sound something like this. Um, marriage is over. We've tried everything we can do. There ain't worth any more time being put in this. It's done. And I'll say, do you have any reason at all to fight for your marriage? Anything? Well, I mean, I don't want the kids to have to go through this, you know, swapping Christmas time and doing all this kind of stuff. I, just, I don't want it to get, okay, okay. Will that get the two of you to come meet with me? I guess, but I don't know if it's enough. And I'll go, and inwardly I'm thinking, it's not. But if it'll get you into my office, that's at least the first step, right? Anything, anything at all will get you just here. Praise God for it. And so I'll, I'll say it like this. I don't care what horse you have to ride into town. Get on it and ride, okay? But just know this. That horse will only take you so far. You following me? These three reasons for the sake of children, for financial security, for maintaining a reputation, they might get you to the counseling office, but they're not going to keep you in the marriage. 
And so this is why it's so important. That next line, if your marriage motivation is anything other than godly intentions, you may begin to work on your marriage, but you will not last for long. You can do it. You can start because you're worried about your finances. You can do it. You can start because you're worried about your kids or about your reputation. That will get you to the counseling office. It will not keep you in the marriage, though. So at some point, something's got to change in your life. You say, all right, we're here to do some work because the kids. At some point, if you want it to last, it's got to change from worried about the kids to worried about the glory of God. I want to do things God's way. I want to have these godly motivations, these biblical uh, directions for what we want to do. And so unless that's there, it's going to be a, a, a struggle. So if your marriage motivation is anything other than godly intentions, you may begin to work on your marriage, but you will not last for long. Uh, I just be honest. I have, um, you, you know, Jesus, sometimes he would say some controversial words. One of my favorite lines Jesus ever said is he told his disciples to be innocent as doves and yet shrewd as what? Serpents. That, so what, what are you saying, Jesus? Be as clean and be, you know, do the right thing, but be sneaky as a snake is what Jesus just said. Some of you are like, oh, I'm good at that. Okay, right? Now, now, putting these two things together, I'm innocent as a dove and I'm sneaky as a snake. Like, what does that mean? It means this. If somebody is telling me about all their issues and they don't care, they don't care a lick about what God's Word says about marriage, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to beat them over the head with the Bible first chance. Because you know what? Plenty of people doing that. They're not listening to that. I could say, do you have any reason to stay in this marriage? Man, it's just going to be such a headache with the finances. And then what are we going to do with the kids and that kind of stuff? Hey, well, let's at least sit down. You've given 20 years to this marriage. What's one session with me going to hurt? It can't make it worse, can it? It can't get worse than it is. All right, let's just one time. Would you just sit down with me one time and let's see what happens? And you know what normally happens? They might stick around for a second time. Maybe a third time. And eventually what you're hoping is that somebody will say, because God says so for the glory of God, I want to do things his way. But you sometimes have to evaluate how bad is it. Now, here's the question that I want us to unpack for a second. Should we get a divorce? This is what I uh, get asked by a lot of folks. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10 for a second. And we're going to not let Pastor Travis answer this. We're going to let Jesus answer it because his words are a lot better. Okay? Should we get a divorce? Um. Jesus was asked this question one time, uh, and he was, he was asked it not really because people were concerned about it, but they were really trying to trap him. Um, and they asked him th this question to try to get their way on some uh, certain things. And, and so they're basically asking him, um, is it okay to get a divorce? And what he knows is that this is a somewhat of a trap that they're trying to get him to get stuck in. And Finally, the Pharisees and other people are going to learn this. You don't trap Jesus. He always has a way to turn it on you, okay? But this is what they try to do. Mark chapter 10, let's read it, verse 1. It says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom. He taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, listen to this, folks, 2019, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together? 
let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And then it just kind of ends there. Thank you, Jesus, for, for you know, leaving us hanging, right, in some ways, and also being very clear on some stuff. Here's the thing. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And what does Jesus say? What did Moses say? Well, Moses gave us a way to get a divorce, but we want to know what do you think, right? And Jesus does something that I want to make sure everybody hears here today, because a lot of times people say, well, about marriage and sexuality and gender and all these issues, people say, well, Paul talked about it, Leviticus talked about it, Jesus didn't talk about it. They've never read Mark chapter 10, because he just talked about all those issues. He talked about all the issues 2019 we're talking about. Look what he said, again, verse 6. From the beginning of creation, God made them what? He made them male and female. Not one is inferior to the other, but he made two distinct people, right? Here's a male, here's a female, and he's unashamed about it. They're, they're, they're different. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his what? What is it trying to teach us there? Is Jesus talking about what marriage is supposed to look like? Yeah. He does not say, and by the way, you better not do it like this and this. Why? Because he's telling you in the positive what he knows to be true. God made male, he made female, and a man leaves his family and joins to a wife. So when people say, well, Jesus doesn't talk about it, yes, he does. He's very clear on what he understands, and he continues to go along with what the Bible teaches about gender and marriage and whatnot. And in these moments, here, here's the line for us, number one, Jesus defined marriage as a covenant that is heterosexual, monogamous, and lifelong. And those are some big words. And I'm going to need somebody to look up in a dictionary what they mean. Okay, no, I, I got it for you. But it, it says this. Jesus defined marriage as a covenant. That means between two people, right? We're in this until we die. Okay? You know, uh, it, it, it's, it's not going anywhere, right? This is until we die, a covenant that is heterosexual. That means with someone of the other gender, the other sex, right? So that's what Jesus just said. A man's going to leave his family, going to be joined to his wife. He has made them separate. This is the way that Jesus would define marriage. For someone who would say, and this is a whole other thing for us to get into. I don't want us to get too sidetracked here tonight. But for people who would say, yeah, but what about this? What, what, what about all these different things? What we have to realize is you cannot get a sexual ethic that is, and, and somehow describe what you want to based upon how you're feelings and get it from the Bible. The Bible is very clear about what marriage is supposed to look like. Now, what about people say, well, what if I felt this way? What if I've struggled this way? Here's what I would tell people who said this um, and told me, ever since I can remember, I've always had an attraction for what God's word says he forbids. So what does that mean? I've had these feelings. Here's how I normally respond. If I acted on every feeling I've ever had in my life, I would be in jail right now. Is that fair? acted on every feeling I've ever had, I would not turn out good. The other thing is this, just because you feel it doesn't mean God gave it. And also for those people who'd say, yeah, but I've always felt this way. You know what I would tell them? A lot of pastors would say, no, you haven't. I would say, I believe you. And some of you, before you walk out of here, hold on. I believe that we are all born into sin. I just think sin manifests itself differently for different folks sometimes. Okay, give you an example. Y'all have that hothead in your family? You know what I'm talking about? 
Out of, out of all your siblings or your parents, that, that one person, you know, if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. Okay, but, but you know that person who just like, they would be mad because the, the wind was blowing. You know, it's just like we're having a nice gathering and somebody's just going to pop off. And then you go, now how is this person always so rowdy and yet this person in the family just kind of chill all the time? Like it's it hard to really work them up. Like why is that? I think that sin manifests itself differently in different folks. I think that it's just something that, like, we are more prone to wander in those specific areas. And so some people go, I've had this feeling. I'd say, I don't doubt that sin has manifested itself in your that way. But if I acted on every feeling I have in this life, I know this. Maybe I wouldn't be in jail, but I, I know this. I would disobey a whole lot of commandments. And you cannot just go based on your feelings. When Jesus said, there's a male, there's a female, and here's the deal. That I am calling them to this type of relationship. The man will leave his family, and he's going to be joined to a wife. So he's saying it's heterosexual. He's saying it's monogamous. What does that mean? Mono means one. You don't get two. You don't get three. You don't get 14. Solomon, you definitely don't get a thousand, okay? Whatever you had, okay? You don't get it. Why? Because, folks, have you not figured out? Figuring out one person's hard enough, right? Okay? Like, figuring out one person is, is, a, is a big enough challenge let alone you trying to figure out more people, right? Somebody else, it's, it's one person. And it doesn't say that the two come together and become a partner or a team. It says they become what? One. It means when I go this way, we go this way from this point on. That, that's, what, that's the problem. And it, it's, it's, so it, it's with one person, and it is lifelong. Jesus is going to, to teach this. Now, the people are still asking, though, yeah, but isn't there a way out? Can we get a divorce? And what they reveal, number two, is this. Um, by determining what issues are worthy of divorce, many people attempt to discover a way out of their marriage. They're going to ask kind of things like this. Well, what is it that could happen? And they're kind of looking for the bare minimum, right? What does he need to do that can get me out of this, okay? What could she do that gets me out of this? What are those things that I would call divorce worthy is what a lot of people are asking. And so Jesus uh, is going to say, look, okay, is there a rule? And they'd say, yeah, there's a rule. Moses said that we could. He gave us a certificate. So therefore, we can do it, right? We can get a divorce. Well, number three is this. Due to the stubborn nature of people, God provided a civil manner through divorce to protect families from more severe calamities. Okay? So when Jesus said it this way, that what did Moses say? Well, he said he, he allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. I want you just to imagine in the time of Moses... If a man in this patriarchal society that just got out of Egypt slavery, if he got really frustrated with his wife, what do you think culturally that man could have done back in those days? Killed her? Gotten rid of her? Added just somebody else in place of her? Right? Abused her? All types of, I mean, I'm talking about calamity, dysfunction, just so much messed up stuff. And so what did Moses do? He provided a civil way to handle this when it seemed like that these two people couldn't get together. Do you think Moses is going, hey, Israel, I got a great idea. We're going to let all of you get divorced. No. This is a tragic situation that I'm trying to give the most civil approach to make this happen. Versus you men leaving your spouses or beating your spouses or killing your spouses or selling your spouses Handle it like a man. Here's a certificate. Go through the court of law, basically, and said, do this the right way. So Jesus said, 
all that was, Moses was not encouraging you to divorce, was he? He's just going, but if, if this marriage is going to be this dysfunctional, it's better to have a civil approach to something like this. And that's why divorce was allowed. And this is why, this is something I always tell folks, but uh, while divorce was permitted in the Bible, it was never promoted in the Bible. There are cases where the Bible allows divorce to take place. But there is never a place in the Bible where I read that God is promoting people to get a divorce. There's only one time in the Bible that I can actually see, uh, in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, where actually the people had like a, almost like it was a massive divorce court. Everybody got divorced because all these people realized that they had married these foreign um, wives or foreign husbands and they had foreign gods. And it never says God told them to divorce. It said they decided to divorce them. We're going to make a separation here. God doesn't give them the command. They did it. But you never see a time in the scripture where you have to get a divorce. In fact, what is one of the most significant stories in the Bible? Any of you ever read the book of Hosea? Man, that book will mess you up, won't it? <laughs> um, God, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a leader for you. How do you want me to serve you? You see that woman over there named Gomer? Now, I don't know about you, but Gomer does not normally elicit, like, warm thing. Like, this woman must be really good-looking, right? Okay, like, that's not what would normally come to my mind. I want you to marry this lady here. But don't, um, God, don't you know her reputation? Yep. And I want you to marry her anyway. And he marries this woman who has a checkered past. And it finds out that her checkered past is not just a past, but it's her present and her future. Runs around and runs around and runs around so much that she gets in trouble that what happens? She's on the auction block. This is sex trafficking. This is how deep she's gotten into this mess, okay? And now, does follow this question. Does Hosea have a right to divorce her? Yeah, of course he does. In fact, he's got a biblical right. He could divorce her. But what does God say? Buy her back. <laughs> but I already had her buy her back. Buy back what you already have because it's going to be a symbol of what I'm doing to my people who are running around on me. You think the pain you're feeling is bad? I watch this every day with my people who are literally running after other gods. And I want you to buy back what you already own. And what's, what's crazy about this, if you look in Hosea, there's this crazy moment. Because um, it says that he bought her for like 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a op and all these kind of weird things. I don't even know where to get this kind of stuff, right? But here's what somebody taught me years ago. That the going rate for a slave at that time was about 30 shekels of silver. And it says he gave 15 and a bunch of other stuff. You know what that's implying? That man had to go to the couch cushions to buy her back. He was going through and looking through everything he possibly could do. And he's going down the couch cushions looking for, for any kind of nickels and dimes and pennies that he can get and other stuff. Why? Because he's desperate to get that woman back. That was his commitment to her. Now, folks, that is a type of love. Woo-wee. I'd like to say, God, I'd do anything you asked me. But that one right there, she got herself into that mess. She can get out of it on her own. She's on her own. And God goes, that's not how I treated you. And I bring that example up to say this. There, I'm going to show you where God's word says it's okay to get a divorce, but he never says you have to. You know that? I think there's some people who've gotten a divorce, and they had a legal and even a biblical right that God said that's fine. 
But I believe some people right now have come to me. I'll give you an example. Sometimes people would say, Pastor, I've read the Bible. I can get a divorce. I'll say, you are right. You can get a divorce, but you don't have to. Let's just look at it together. So here's Scripture permits divorce for two reasons. As I look through the Bible, this is what I find out. Look on the back page. Here's the first reason. It's adultery from an unfaithful spouse. Reason number one. And I want you can turn to Matthew 19 if you want to. I'm going to read a few verses around it, um, or you can look it up later, either one. But the first reason that Scripture permits divorce is for two reasons. Adultery from an unfaithful spouse. In Matthew 19, verse 9, Jesus said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. What is he saying right there? He's saying that if you get a divorce because she gets on your nerves or he doesn't know how to fold a fitted sheet, that's not a good enough reason. By the way, nobody knows how to fold a fitted sheet. Those things are of the devil. But that's another story for another day. <coughs> yeah, that's right. But he's saying this. He's saying that in this case, and if you read all around it, he's saying it's okay if someone has had adultery for you to say that has broken that covenant, and if you want to get divorced, God is saying that is acceptable. Okay? Some of you in this room know there's a lot of pain in life. That pain right there is unique. It is a unique pain to get over. And I have had many times where I've sat in my office with a couple before, and I can remember one, um, one evidence years ago where someone came in and said, Pastor, I found this. He was doing that. He had a whole other cell phone just for this person right here, and I found it. And by the look on his face, I could tell that she wasn't too happy when she found out, and she let him feel how upset she was. There was all types of bruises and lashes on this man's face, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, I better not cross this woman. I know that much, right? And she, she tells me, she says, Pastor, I know that I can get divorced by what um, the Bible says. I got a reason, don't I? And he's looking saying, you need to tell her she needs to stay with me. I said, I'm not talking to you right now. And I look at her, I said, you are exactly right. You do have a biblical reason you can't get a divorce. And she's like, I'm done. And he's like, what? I thought you were on my side. And I said, I'm on God's side, son, be quiet. And here's the thing. I said, you can get a divorce, but you don't have to. This is a line that he has crossed, and you have the right if you want to get a divorce, you can. You don't have to, though, if you don't want to. What do you want me to do? Would you give an opportunity to see if you can make this work? And if you can't, I, I get it. I totally understand. I would not, I won't judge you if you step across this, but would you at least give it a shot to try to make it work? So adultery from an unfaithful spouse isn't evidence where God says it's okay to get divorced. Here's the second reason that Scripture says. Abandonment from an unbelieving spouse. When an unbelieving spouse abandons the believing spouse, God says that that is acceptable. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, it's full of all kinds of stuff about marriage, singleness, purity, all kinds of stuff. It, it, it's very, very interesting. But Paul's writing this, and in fact, he tells everybody, look, I wish you'd just stay like me. And you go, what's that, Paul? Paul said, single. <laughs> That's just too many is right now. They're like, I just wish you were like me. And here's why he said, he says, in view of the present distress, there's pastors and Christians getting killed just for following Jesus. It'd be better if you just get killed by yourself, being single rather than being married and got kids that somebody's got to take care of. Does that make sense? 
Like, so in, in, my, in my case, like, now I have a wife and I have three children and there's more responsibilities. And Paul says, look, if I want to go on a mission trip, I don't need to check the wife's calendar. I just go. I just go. It's just, it's just easy. He goes, I, I wish you could be like me. But he says, but that is not for everybody. It's basically called the gift of celibacy where you feel like you don't have to have, be married. Some of you said, I never got that gift. <laughs> I did not ask Santa Claus for it either, right? Okay, you did not have that gift. You said, no, I want to be married. I have this desire. It's not a bad desire, but he said, I wish it'd be easy for you. But in this passage, he says, now, if you are married, stay married. And in this situation, though, he, he says it in verse 15 of an, in a way that you could. It says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases... The brother or sister, that means the brother or sister of the family of God, the person who's a Christian, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So what is he saying? If your unbelieving spouse abandons you and leaves, you're not bound to that marriage. If they walk away from the marriage and get a divorce, you are free to let that happen. And I believe it also saying you're free to get remarried. Now, some people would disagree with that. When I, when I hear it says you're, you're not enslaved by this, I think it's saying you're free. Verse 16, he says, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What is he saying? For the believing spouse who's married to the unbeliever, he's saying, you don't have to leave them. In fact, he's saying, don't leave them. Who knows? You might be the, the person who changes them. But if they abandon you, you're, you don't have to like hold out your entire life hoping they're going to turn around. If they've walked away from that, you can um, go through that. So those are the two reasons that you look at. Uh, and then the next thing you look at number six, Scripture permits remarriage after an acceptable divorce or a spousal death. Scripture does permit remarriage after an acceptable divorce. What's an acceptable divorce? If it had to do with adultery or had to do with abandonment, or if, if the spouse has died, that it's, it's an okay thing to do. Now, um, when you see those two things, adultery and abandonment, can anybody else think of a couple things you go, yeah, God, but what about this? Because I do. I heard it. Heard abuse, right? So somebody else, you have another one you think through? Yes, because someone dies, right? So there, there is a death, right? There's a death that you're, you're not bound there, uh, obviously, in that, in that kind of situation. So just to that point, if, if someone has died, you're not bound to that relationship for, for in that kind of sense. But also a lot of times people would say, what about abuse? What, what, what happens there? And, um, some of y'all have known that in the last couple of years, some church leaders have gotten into a whole lot of trouble, rightfully so, for some counsel they've given people. Um, and, and sometimes they'll look like this. Your spouse is hitting on you. You need to continue to be Jesus to them and keep going back in there, and just maybe you'll change them. And what's happened as a result of that is there's been a lot more bruises and a lot worse things that have happened. Here, here's, here's my stance, and this is, this is the way I feel. If you are endangered in your home, you get out of that house right now. You don't wait. You do not wait for something to happen. In fact, I would encourage you to make two phone calls. One, 911. Number two, you call your pastor. And you say, my spouse has been abusing me, and I'm getting out. Now, let me also he hear what I'm saying here. Um. Can God work in the life of even an abuser? Yes, he can. So when you 
call the police and say, I'm being abused, and they come and pick up your spouse, and now reputations and frustrations, all this kind of stuff escalated, you haven't walked to divorce court yet. You've just done what you need to do in that moment. <laughs> this is a line that's been crossed, and I'm going to call the authorities who know how to handle this situation. And you know what could happen? It doesn't mean that you rush off to say, I'm going to do this. What, what you're saying is, I'm not going to be in this situation. Nobody in, in the sound of my voice ever put yourself in an endangering situation. You, your children, get out. Get out. Call the proper authorities. We do whatever you need to do in that moment. But you come in and you realize this. Now my, my great desire is for that person's life to be transformed. And who knows what God can do. But you're not the person who's got to put yourself in harm's way to help them figure that out. In fact, folks, I, I think you all know this. Sometimes people aren't going to wake up to reality until they hit rock bottom. And if you continue to enable them to make decision after decision after decision after decision, that teaches them they can continue to do stuff to you. And sometimes they need to realize there's authority in life and you just crossed them. And so I think sometimes the best, some of y'all know, this would be your testimony, right? You didn't learn a lesson until you fell down hard. And sometimes God needs to even use moments like that. So, so when I, I, I say those things, someone will come up and, I, and they'll say, I just don't get along with my spouse anymore. We're just different people. We don't enjoy the same type of things. He wants to go hunting. I want to go on long walks on the beach. Like, we just need to get a divorce, right? And I'll say, no, that's just being people. You just, you're just different, right? It's just different. It's different, different personalities, different things you like, but that's not divorce worthy. So what do you do? You say, okay, well, is there hope for our marriage? And y'all know me. I'm stubborn enough. I always go, of course there's hope, right? Um, number one, here's how you find out. Are you willing to work on your issues and be patient with your spouse's issues? Okay, some of that would be yes. Some of that would be, mm, I don't know, how patient, right? Okay, are you willing to work on your issues and are you willing to be patient with your spouse's issues? Here's where the devil loves to get in this. You start making a little bit of progress, and then you go back to an old habit, and they go, fine, see, you can't do it. And you go, oh, but we've been making progress, right? Like, slow down. Slow, slow the process down. You don't have to run off to the next thing. Number two, what help will you seek to strengthen your marriage? What help will you seek? Will you go to counseling? Will you get a book? Will you go on a marriage conference? Will you, what, what will you do? What are you willing to put forth the effort? There are sometimes people that I'll look at them and I'll say, hey, let's meet for counseling, and why don't y'all try these things, and why don't we get back together in a month? And there are sometimes where I've looked at people and I said, y'all need to go away to like a, a rehab camp for the next month. Like you, you, your marriage is so toxic right now. An hour with me once every week, that ain't going to fix nothing. Because sometimes I'm stirring up the hornet's nest, right? And they get back in the car like, you hear what he said, right? It just it gets worse. Like I'm going, and, and there's, I, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I'd encourage you, focus on the family in different places have this, where they have an emergency like marriage like retreat, where you go away for like three days or four days or a full week and say, we're not leaving this compound and we have intensive counseling and it's very expensive. And I tell you this, it's worth it. There's sometimes where I beg people, will you do this? We take off work for the next four days and go there because you need more than an hour every other week. So what, what help will you seek to strengthen? Number three, what type of person will you listen to through your struggles? And we got to move to these quick here, but let me just tell you this right now. Some of y'all got to stop listening to some of your friends and family. They are, they're not good counselors. They do not have God's interest in mind. You're telling them your side of the story, and they are babying you just to continue to do those same type of things over and over and over. 
I want the type of people speaking into my life that want God's will done more than they want my will done. You follow me? I want God's will more than I want my will. And so what type of person are you willing to listen to? Number four, how convinced would others be of my effort to save my marriage? How convinced would others be of my effort to save my marriage? I was talking with someone uh, one time and, and said, um, they said, I feel like this marriage is shot. I'll try to do counseling, but I know it's not going to work. He's this way, and, I, and it's just not going to happen. And I said, did the kids know that you're trying to make it work? Well, they, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's volatile. It's really, really bad. I said, do your children know, and does your spouse know that you are willing to try to make it work? Can they see that you're at least willing to put in the effort? Because if they don't see that, you know what can happen a few years later? They go, man, mom never even tried to make it work. Dad didn't put forth the effort. I would want, I would want the people around you to know he at least made a valiant effort. <laughs> she really did try hard, even though that they had things working against them. Number five, how convinced would God be of my effort to save my marriage? <laughs> That's one thing to go to counseling. People say, I saw you going to that office, but does God see me as trying to do the work? Would God be convinced that I have been trying my hardest to save my marriage? Now, here's the thing for us to unpack from where do most of our issues arrive? In Ephesians chapter 5, this is kind of a, a huge, um, helpful um, section for us to go through. But let me show you how this happens. Um, I hate stereotypes, but I'm going to give you a few really quick because I do think they're helpful, okay? I know that every marriage situation is unique. I know that every time there's all kinds of stuff we got to unpack. But here's what I know about um, ladies in this room. Most women struggle in their marriages due to insecurity, okay? Most women struggle in their marriages due to insecurity. And that can mean a whole lot of different things, but what I mean ultimately is this. Every woman I have ever met in my life wants to know that things are going to be okay. Somebody is thinking about the financial security, the family security, the doors are locked, we got money in the savings, someone is making sure we're having a date night, You're, you only have eyes for me. Something about that just puts them at ease. Can all the women say amen? It just, it's just like, oh, I just, and, and women, you, you notice things that we, we men don't see, and you go, don't you see that? We don't. We just don't see it like you do. Like, you see, like, and this could happen, and this could happen, and no, you shouldn't stand on a ladder in there. Like, that's just, it's dangerous, right? Like, people get hurt, and men are like, it'll be all right. Like, we just, we see it differently, and women ultimately are going, I want, I, I need security, and here's what happens, follow me. Men are supposed to provide that for their wives, but by their actions and their words, guess what happens? They actually rob them of it. They take more of that security away. Now, that's where women are going to struggle. Most men struggle in their marriages due to insignificance. So if women are struggling in security, most men struggle with insignificance. And what I mean by that is, ladies, if you have not realized this about the men in your life, whether they are husbands, um, your, your kids, your sons, or, or whatever it is, us men are egotistical maniacs, okay? We want to know we are the best at something. Can all the men say amen? <laughs> we, <laughs> we want to know we're the best at something. I will tell my wife on occasion that that should be somewhat, it can be overwhelming for you to hear, but it all should be so positive. Most men are like big, hairy dogs. If you just pat our head, give us a treat, and say we're a good boy, we're normally we're okay, right? <laughs> Everything's fine in the world, right? Like, we're not that difficult or complicated. Just tell us we're doing okay at something, right? Just tell us that we're... And so, so, fellas, let me tell you something. You will gravitate 
towards anyone or anything that tells you you're the best. You will. So if your family tells you you're not enough, but your employer says that you're the best, guess where you'll put in the extra hours? If you're struggling at your job, but your hobby says that you're the best in your group, guess where you'll spend all your hours and all your money? You'll gravitate towards whoever tells you you're the man. You will. So, so, so this is where this, this, this comes down to it. Like, so, okay, so what happens is that a, a man's wanting to know that he's winning somewhere, that he's doing something right, and in the same way that a man's greatest need is significant, sometimes a woman who's supposed to help provide that actually takes that away. 99.9% of marriages uh, that come into counseling, that's the issue. A woman feels insecure, a man feels insignificant, and they're hurting each other in that department. So what does Scripture say? Ephesians 5 is very clear. It says, women's, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. So, all right, now I know that's going to be a hard passage for us in 2019, but let me explain what that means. If a woman's greatest need is security, and a man's greatest need is significance, look what he just did. He just called you to diagonally, basically, address what your spouse needs. So, it says most women could strengthen their marriage through what? Submission. Now, this word does not mean my husband is an idiot and he wants me to do all these crazy things and put our, our uh, and not follow God and disobey commandments and I got to listen to him. That's not what that says. You know what submission implies? Significance. I trust you. I believe in you. I'd follow you to the ends and back. That's my man right there. Like, I, like, he's awesome. Like, I would want to follow him. Men gravitate towards whoever tells them something positive and encouraging. That's just the way we're wired. And so isn't it brilliant that God says, so wives, you want to know how to keep that husband and that marriage going strong? Tell him he's the best. Because if he doesn't hear it from you, he'll find somebody else to say it. He'll find somebody else to say it. Folks, I, I realize this. My, my best-looking days are far behind me, okay? I want to just go ahead and just sort of throw that out there. So you're like, really? I, I've known this for a long time. In high school, my receding hairline was, was advancing way past my age. It was going fast, okay, going fast. And I knew I had to get married quick because I had some good hair back in the day. It was beautiful. It was, it was thick. And I thought, I got I to gotta get her on the line before this goes away, right? And yet, so in college, literally one of my friends and a, and a joke just buzzed my head, and he said, Bo, Trav, you got a peninsula on your forehead. I'm like, really? It was just gone. Like, I, I knew there's no turning back. And, and I say all that to set up going, why, why are you saying this? Because in my house, I feel like the most attractive, most strong, most um, confident, most talented man that has ever walked this earth. Now, I know that not to be true, okay? You, I am fully aware that it could not be further from the truth. But the way that my wife esteems me, makes me feel like I'm the man. Now you go, is that, is that bad? I don't know. I think it's probably pretty good because <laughs> she knows this. Ladies, I have never, ever met a man who has risen to the occasion to be what you've wanted him to be by constantly reminding him of who he is not. You never do this. You never blah, blah, blah. You know other men would do this. I wish you were more like, you know, so and so, blah, blah, blah. And what I've never heard a man go, oh, you're right. Let me please do all those things that you tell me I'm awful at. Wow, thank you for illuminating me. 
you know what happens? And, and some of you women going, I'm not going to tell him he's doing good if he's not. Can you find something he's doing good? Something. Something. Even if it's tiny. Like, good job. You brushed your teeth today, buddy. I mean, whatever it is. Like, just something that he's doing well, and you encourage it. Folks, let me, let me tell you. One time in, in life, this was probably about 10 years ago, we had to make a, a, a major decision with our family and something, something financially. We were, we were trying to figure it out. And Amanda's so much more smarter than me. She figures out this kind of stuff. She has a better ideas, all, all this kind of deal. And she said, I, I've looked at this. I've studied the pros. And I've studied the cons. But I am so thankful to God that he gave me a husband I can trust. And whatever you decide, I'm good with. And I looked at her and said, what are you thinking? You crazy loon, right? Like, what are you thinking, right? What happened in that moment? Let me just tell you what happened. It caused me to step up my game. It caused me to be the type of man she needed me to be to say, I trust you. All right, old boy, you going to make the right call? You know what? I prayed a lot harder and thought a lot more, more about that decision. And you know what? It caused me to rise up who she needed me to be. Not tell me who I was not, but the things that I was. Now, that's what women could do. Now, what does it say for men? For all the women who say submitting sounds hard, Fellas, don't get it easy either. Be like Jesus. Huh, okay. Give yourself up the way that Christ gave himself up for the church. So what happens? Most men could strengthen their marriages through sacrifice. Could strengthen their marriage through sacrifice. When you sacrifice, when you lay down your life the way that Christ laid down himself for us, guess what you never have a problem with? I, I want my precious wife to say, I'd go anywhere that he'd lead. Why? Because I know he will lay his life down for me, and it provides all the security for me in the world. I'm good. Everything else can be constant, uh, can constantly changing this world, but I feel grounded. Why? Because my man, I know this, he will lay his own life down on the line before harm comes to me. Man, that's the call right there. Now look what happens. Men, if you will sacrifice for your wife, guess what she gets? Security. Women, if you'll learn to submit to your husband, guess what he gets? significance. And most often in marriage situations, that's the issue where people come down to. Now, let me say this in these last few minutes here for those of you. If, if, for, if you're in a marriage situation, I want you to begin to think of how can I start showing significance or security to, to my spouse. But for those in this room that have gone through a divorce, and I know there, there must be many that that's in our, our story, here's, here's the question about how should we live after divorce. I want to give you these just tidbits of wisdom and we'll be done. Number one, Learn from your mistakes so that you don't repeat them, okay? Learn from your mistakes so you don't repeat them. If it was bad the first time, don't go back again. Don't get yourself in the same situation as last. And also don't, don't, don't get into the 80-20 rule where, where all of a sudden you, you look at the 20% of what your spouse didn't have that you try to find what that 20% that is. A lot of times I'll see somebody, they'll have 80% of everything they've ever wanted in a spouse, but 20% that they don't like, they focus on it, and the next time around, they just look for that 20%. That's all they're looking for. And guess what? They don't even think about that 80%. And they get blinded. They get their blinders on what they didn't have, and they start looking for that. Be very, very careful you don't repeat the same mistake. Number two, never make your child responsible for your happiness or your former spouse's punishment. Stop putting the kids in the middle. Stop putting those poor kids who got enough on them right now as it is with their parents going to divorce. Do not put them in the middle. They are not responsible to make you happy. Your child is not your counselor. Your child is not your substitute uh, relationship for what the spouse is there. 
don't, they cannot provide your happiness. You do not need to tell them everything. Goodness gracious, don't tell them everything. Let them be your child and not your counselor. But also, they are not being used to be a weapon against the person that you dislike the most in your life right now. That's not, that's not their role. Don't make them choose. Don't make them put. You want to speak, even, even no matter how messed it up is, if that's not your spouse anymore, that's still your child's parent. And they're not perfect, and neither are you. But what do you need to do? I'm, I'm not going to put this, this type of, I'm going to try to punish my spouse through stuff that I say or stuff that I do. Um, a lot of times as a pastor, a uh, family who's going through a divorce or has been divorced will come in and say, well, you talk to my child, they're just really struggling right now due to this divorce. And I said, well, have you talked to them about it? I'll talk to them, but have you talked? Well, they're just not talking to me, but I think they'll talk to you. Oh, yeah, because kids just love walking into a pastor's office they don't know and let me just talk to them. They, they feel great about that, okay? Sit down and talk. Like, they're looking at me like this. I was like, how you doing? Fine. You want to talk about anything? No. Are you okay with everything your parents? Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and, and just normally, that's how the conversation goes. One time, I'll never forget this. I said, all right, here's the deal. I know you don't want to be here with me. Uh, I've been in your shoes. I've gone through what it's like when your parents are divorced. I know it's not fun. And I want to let you know, anything you say in here, I can keep, and I, and I don't have to tell your parents, but if there's anything that you want me to tell your parents that you don't feel like saying, Pastor Travel will take care of that for you. Look at me. I said, I promise you, if there's anything you need me to tell them but you don't want to say outright, I'll tell them. I, one time this boy, he was just locked down, wouldn't say a word. He said, I wish you would tell them to stop talking bad about each other in front of me. It's still my mama and it's still my daddy, and I hate the way that they talk about them. And I said, buddy, I'll take care of that. He said, you will? Oh, I'm going to take care of it in about five minutes. <laughs> and he left, and I got those two people in the room, and I said, it's over. Stop it. You're the reason why he's so insecure. You're the reason his grades are failing. You're the reason why he's always having headaches and his stomach says he's hurting because you're putting him in the middle. Don't you dare ever say anything bad about his mama or his daddy ever again. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. <laughs> I went out the hallway said, it's taken care of. If you get any more problems, you call me. He's like, got it, got it, right, okay. Here's the deal. Don't, don't put that child in the middle. They're going through enough. They're going through enough. Don't put them in the middle. Number three, you will never experience complete healing from a divorce until you forgive your former spouse. That's actually number four on your list. Something skipped, my bad. You will never experience complete healing from a divorce until you forgive your former spouse. They might be gone physically, they might not even be alive anymore. But I can tell you this, bitterness will stay with you. Some of us are, steam, are still being held on by people who live in a different state or even in the grave itself because we have been refusing to forgive them. You've got to learn how to forgive and say, I'm not going to hold this against you and I'm not going to blame you for everything wrong in my life again. On your list, number five is this. A sign of forgiveness is when you want God's best for the person you dislike the most. You want to know if you can forgive somebody? Could you say, God, I want your best in my former spouse's life? You go, huh, God, I want your judgment on them. That's what I want, right? Um, could you say, I want God's best for that person? I really, really do. And could you pray for that way? Folks, um, especially if you share, um, if your children still have that person and that's their father or that's their mother, don't you want the most godly example in their life as possible? I mean, goodness gracious. I know your marriage ended, but wouldn't you rather, for your child's sake, 
for them to be a godly man or godly woman, we'll pray towards that end, work towards that end. And the last one here is just as a reminder, you are not a second-rate Christian, but some challenges are now unavoidable. For those of you that have walked through divorce, you know that there are challenges that are unavoidable. They're here. They're not going to go away necessarily. You can't make them better. But please hear me say this. You are not second-rate. You're not a second-rate Christian. You're not a second-rate church member. I know what it was like growing up at a time when uh, there wasn't a whole lot of single ministries in the church because it was just like, oh, wow, we're in a nice church, and that's the singles. I, I know what that feels like. And I just want everybody here to know this, that that's your story. That's not your identity, okay? Divorce may be a part of your history. It's not your identity. You're not second-rate. And it can I also remind you this. Philippians 1.6 says God's not through with you yet. Amen? So, Father, I pray for uh, anybody in here tonight, whether they're married, divorced, single, widowed, whatever our situation is, would you allow your word and these pieces of counsel that come from wise principles in your word, would allow us to strengthen what's there, to work towards healing after what's maybe already been gone, but also to encourage somebody else who's going through something right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks.